the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. And his sidekick and partner and friend, Jacob. Here we are, folks. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> well, it comes a little bit close to... That comes a little bit close to mentioning you, right? Very close. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is the Bible Live here uh, on this beautiful Sunday evening, and uh, we're hoping you'll join with us and stay with us now. We're going to finish up a little bit of discussion about the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. We just uh, finished it this past week in our reading schedule. Uh, we read the last, what, five, uh, five or six chapters uh, of Deuteronomy, which includes Moses' final message to the people of Israel. We, uh, the book of Deuteronomy is made up of four messages that he presents to the people there on the east side of the Jordan just before they go into the promised land. And uh, the last message is presented in a very unusual form. It's, it's uh, music. It's a song. Uh, the Song of Solomon It's called, the oldest or the first first uh, recorded song, 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 and I don't mean recorded, sound recorded, of course. You said Song of Solomon? Did I say Solomon? You did. I said, I really meant the uh, Song of Moses. I'm sorry about that. Thank you for catching that. Uh, the Song of Moses, and uh, first oldest recorded song uh, of history, uh, and I don't, again, not a sound recording. Well, when you, just, oh, I thought you were recording like you're making a record. Yeah, sure. No, no, no. But no, I will I, tell you, did you know Moses did 
sing or talk like Elvis Presley since we're talking about recording. Oh, I see. Now, how do you know that? Well, because he walked up to uh, Pharaoh and Moses said, Oh, oh Pharaoh, you can do one thing, but stay off of my subdued juice. <laughs> okay, stay off of my subdued juice. Yeah, you know, well, choose. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, evidently, Pharaoh didn't like that message very much, so... Uh, anyway, um, okay. <laughs> All seriousness aside here, um, we uh, are finishing at the book of Deuteronomy, and then we jumped over, <clears throat> we jumped ahead about 1,500 years to the time of uh, Jesus of Nazareth, to the time of the Messiah, and we went into the Gospel of Mark, the second book of the New Testament. And uh, we read the first eight chapters of that, so we'll we'll touch uh, our our have our feet in both worlds tonight, the old and new, a world pre and post Messiah, uh, there in our our study. So let's uh, get started. You can give us a call, by the way. <clears throat> We'd be happy to hear from you from the. Uh, uh, phone, <laughs> the phone line, if you want to call us locally, <laughs> call the 210, that's the area code, 340-9585, 340-9585, that's our local line, you can call in and be a part of the Bible Live program, we're making our way through the entire Bible every year, just discussing and talking, now if you follow our reading schedule, uh, you can read with us uh, each week uh, uh, through the different readings, and we, we will cover, ask you questions and discuss the chapters that we've read this past week. As I said, this Deuteronomy 28 to the end, and then the, the Gospel of Mark, chapters 1 through 8. All right. Uh, what's up, Jacob? You got anything on your mind tonight that uh, well, particularly? No, I, I, just, I just wanted to say... Um, that uh, I, I, it's okay if people want to watch the Super Bowl. I really don't want to draw all their audience away so they listen to this show. Right, okay. That would be so, terrible to draw all their audience away. Uh, that would be a pretty... Yeah, Pretty so stiff shot. They, they spent so much money. <laughs> they spent so much money. We better let them have a little bit of uh, uh, time over there. Uh, but, yeah, come over and join us. We'll. Uh, you know what I was thinking of on the way to the studio? That I, I um, when I was young, when I was young, about a quarter of a century, about a uh, half a century ago, I guess it is, or more. Uh, a very good year. I, I remember a very good year. Uh, no, no, th- there was a... There was a, uh, a an album that someone made on, on the old vinyl records that it was a mock football game between uh, the people of God uh-huh. and the the enemy, uh, kind of Satan and his team, you know. Oh. And it was really interesting. It was a uh, some some. Um, I guess it was a radio personality or someone who who did sports uh, called an imaginary football game between. And I was thinking, oh, I wish I had that again to go back and, and play. John could find that because he he loves that kind of. Stuff. He might be able to do it. He probably has it memorized. He's yeah. a, that kind of guy for sure. But I was thinking about that. that would be kind of a nice thing to run on on a on a Super Bowl Sunday for sure. Well, let's go to one of our listeners first, uh, right off the bat. You uh-huh. want to do that? Yeah, she wants oh. to talk to you. So. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a she. Uh, yes, yes. Renee sometimes is a... Yeah, this is Renee. Remember when I talked to you guys a couple of years ago? Sure, Renee. Good to talk with Remember, you. Remember, Jacob, um, Jacob, he's growing you up. <laughs> I love that, Jacob. What's happening Remember in Renee's when world? Remember when I was living in Bandera? Yes. And those children, I sold my house. <laughs> 
And okay. I love Bandera. You know, you guys are talking about the old and the new. Yes. And I love the I love the Word of God, and I love the Bible, and I love Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I but do. But then now I'm in Kendall County, and the policemen are really policemen, and they really care about you. And Bandera, they don't care. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. So I bet they I, care I, a little bit. No, I sold my house. You know, Sophie, when um, I called in in 2012 and you gave me that stuff I had in my car. Good. And then, you know, I had a, a fiancé. He died of a heart attack in my arms. And oh. then the day I left the courtroom, he left me everything. He didn't leave his children with him. So then the children got mad at me. You know what I'm saying? I remember this. But now I'm in, I'm in um, Kendall County now. <laughs> well, I hope your life is going and well. I, I sold my house in Bandera, and now I'm in Kendall County, right. and I love it. You and, know what I'm saying? And, you can and still, I love Jesus. And you and can I still hear Jacob. the program. You know, Jacob, you know, Jacob, yeah, every night. You know, Jacob, he's calling, he, he, he's calling you up, Sophie. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I thank you. I believe he is. I sure. love Jewish. I want to go to Israel so bad. You know, I tied to Dr. Uh, Mike Evans and, and Dr. David Jeremiah and all uh -huh, that. I uh -huh. want to go. I want to go to Israel so bad. Well, won't we all end up in Israel at some point, Jacob? Isn't that part of the end times understanding? The whole world will be Israel. Yeah, the the, the whole world will be the, the well. So you maybe know, maybe Sophie, Israel will come to you. You know, Sophie, I, I pray for Jacob. You have a good mentor there. Thank you, you so much. Yeah, I believe I, I pray, it. You know, you know, um, Jesus. He says, "I'll bring people into." No, Jacob, you're the mentor. Yeah. You know when Jesus, he says, you know, I'll bring up people in your life. Well, I don't want them to be men. I want them to be women. You think he'll bring me a sister? <laughs> <laughs> Just might do it, Renee. He might do it. Maybe, we'll make it a matter of prayer, okay? Because I'll tell you why. I, I, of all the prayer promises that we see in the Bible, you know, it's almost like God begs us, pray, 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 and it commands us. And Jesus sort of says, "No, oh, ask anything, ask anything. And so I have finally got it in my mind that, uh, you know, if it's something I want, and I, I don't mean just some kind of a selfish, oh, give me a BMW, or, but if, if it's something I feel strongly about, I, I don't mind asking God. And I'll say, God, now, you said for ask what I want, and so I, I, I do, I I prefer that my friend here get well, that he be totally cured. So I'm asking you to do that. But nevertheless, you know, you know best, your will be done. But he does encourage us to ask, Renee. So I'm, I'm glad that you have that in your mind. Go ahead and ask God. He doesn't mind us. And uh, we get to know him better when, when, when he answers us, whether it's yes, no, or wait, whatever it is, you'll get to know him better. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate you being part of the program this evening. You can do just like Renee did if you'd like. Join us, 340-9585, 340-9585. Maybe you have a comment about the book of Deuteronomy, uh, what we've been talking about, the, these messages of, that Moses delivered the people of Israel and so on. I would just... Uh, this this week I was reading through them, and it, and I, it is so striking, Jacob, the the things that God told Moses. And, and I, I was telling you before the program started how struck I was, how how 
incredible those words are when when God uh, through Moses warns the people that if you you don't follow my commands you don't obey me you don't trust me uh, <clears throat> uh, a people that you don't even know that speaks a language you don't understand they'll come and they'll take you over and they'll lay siege to your cities a siege so drastic that it will eventually you'll be reduced to uh, to uh, cannibalism that you'll, you you'll, you'll be reduced to uh, yeah to that and, and I and I read it there in the scripture it, it, it just reminds you of the fact that later on in both cases first by Assyria and you know out of Nineveh the north and then later from Babylon those two predictions that very grave and ugly prediction actually comes true literally in the life of Israel that's um well the scriptures are uh, so amazing uh, so many ways uh, that they're amazing but uh, the prediction the clarity of it the the prophecies coming true uh, accurately I, I I'm astounded more and more by by this book for sure truly am uh, what what would you say about the the ending chapter this last fourth message of Deuteronomy Jacob is anything one thing I noticed that I mentioned to you earlier is it more than any other, I th- I know in the Old Testament God is referred to as the Father mm-hmm. a number of times. It's not that many times, but then here in Deuteronomy in the song of, in the song of Moses, which by the way Moses did not write. Maybe I could put that a question. Oh, that's a good for question. Who, who wrote the song of Moses? It uh, starts out in chapter. Let me see. Where was it? Chapter thirty-two. Is it? I have to look and see when when it actually starts. Yes, the Song of Moses, chapter thirty-two, and I want to—that's the oldest recorded song in history. They say, written down and recorded. Uh, but uh, who wrote? Who was the composer? Who who wrote the uh, lyrics to um, the Song of Moses? And, and I and I don't mean just kind of in a statement, but in a clear way. It actually says who wrote the song. So anyway, um, it it refers to God as the Father. Uh, which is later picked up by Jesus in a in the the way, and that's kind. Of, I guess we we think of God, our Father, who art in heaven, or we pray to God the Father. We think of God in the in that intimate term of fatherhood. Primarily, at least us in the in the Christian world, is that used uh, quite often in the Jewish world as right as well. The idea of referring to God as Father. Ah. Uh... It is used, I don't think, often, but it's used. Um, it's usually referred to, uh, they have wor- substitute words for, uh, have you ever heard of the word Hashem? Hashem, no. Okay, that means the name. Okay. And so sometimes when they talk about God's name, they'll say Adonai or say Hashem. Now, the interesting thing about Hashem. It means kind of like in your name? Uh, yeah. I've heard people pray before at the end of this, yeah, in your name. Yeah, that means the name or the name of uh-huh, God, you uh-huh. know, his proper personal name. I see. Uh, but the interesting thing I read about the word Hashem, if you spell it backwards, do you know what you have? Misha. Uh, very close. Actually, you have Mose, Moshe. Mo- Moshe, yeah, Moshe, yeah, I see. So that's very interesting. Uh-huh. By the way, you know Saddam Hussein. Remember Saddam? Uh, I do. Yeah, if you spell his name, Saddam, backwards, you know what you got? It's madass. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Think about it. Saddam? Yeah. Mad as. Mad as, yeah. Or, or 
I'm trying to clean you up a little oh, bit here. <laughs> All right. I meant to be clean. Uh, I know you did. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> I was going to ask you about the Song of Moses in those final chapters. <clears throat> if there's anything uh, well, memorable or... Yeah, you know, the last part is uh-huh. called in Hebrew, Hazinu, which is a, the Song of Moses, of course. Uh-huh. But there's one thing that I really is remarkable. Look at it. starts in chapter 32. Uh-huh. Look, okay. look at 32.1. You got it? Hear, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words I say. Oh, does it say, yours says, hear, O heavens? Yeah, listen, O heavens, and oh, I listen. will speak. Okay. Hear, O earth, the words that I say. Uh, of my, my, okay, because I, I... Oh, uh, and let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. Ah, that's another imagery. Usually, when God speaks, when the Bible speaks of God's words... Uh, the gospel or God's words, God's message. It uses the imagery, when it uses the farming imagery. It usually, God's word usually is the seed that's right. sown. And there are two cases I know of, this one and another in Isaiah 55, where God's word here is referred to as the rain. And so it's not the seed that's sown, but it's the rain that comes down, which I think is uh, fairly interesting, both of those uh, those analogies. Well, it is, and what's interesting is, look how he starts this. Now, okay. As you, as you, you ask a question about who wrote the song, right? Yeah, right. Uh huh. I, I know we have not got an answer of it. And we may be rather skimpy on answers this evening because uh-huh. they got some kind of a pigskin game. I going think there's on. a game, you know, some kind. Yeah. So, anyway, but uh, but look what's going on. Give ear. Well, mine says, "Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and may the earth hear the words." Now, what is he creating at the beginning? Hmm. Yes, you're absolutely right. I got it right. Uh, He's giving witnesses. The heaven and the earth are the witnesses. Okay. And there's another spot where he actually says uh, earlier in Deuteronomy where he says, heaven and earth are the witnesses. And so he's actually saying, give ear, O heaven. So he's talking to heaven. And let the earth hear. And so it's fascinating. And then, of course, as you say, rain, rain is a blessing. And, uh, and so you've got that happening. And it says, uh, and here in verse 3, how does your verse 3 read? It says, I will pro- proclaim the name of the Lord, how glorious is our God. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's very interesting because, uh, yeah, and I will call out the name of God. Uh-huh. And ascribe greatness to our God. Now, so you call out the name. And this is always fascinating to me because it actually, in the Hebrew, it actually has his real personal pronoun name there. Wow. And so uh, this is something that's... Really is that a uh, pronoun name would be Elohim? Uh, no, Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay. But... Um, but so uh, yeah. Elohim, you know, it's interesting. I went, to, I went to a class this morning. It was a, a Christian class, and they were uh-huh. talking about the name Elohim. Isn't that plural as well? The the im. Yes, it's okay. Ima. Uh-huh. And uh, so Elohim, and they were writing on the board what it could mean, and uh-huh. it can mean uh, God or gods, or it can mean possessive gods, or it can mean the attributes of gods. And sometimes, are you familiar in Psalm eight? Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I know the psalm. The psalm, huh? and it says something about uh, uh, we made us a little lower than the angels. Uh huh. Uh huh. Ah, 
Well, Elohim can also mean angels. Hmm. Because the right there, when it says you made man a little lower than the it angels, uses the word Elohim. The extra word there is Elohim. Uh huh. Uh huh. But. Everybody knows, and everybody translates it correctly as angels. It says here, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Oh. Interesting. Well. Uh, this version says uh, a little lower than God. Hmm, interesting. Oh. Well, isn't that would be uh, different than what it says in the beginning of sure. Hebrew, right? Hebrews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's interesting because Elohim, most of the... Or or the alternative, yet you made them only a little lower than the angels. Ah, angels. Everybody, Christian, Jewish, whoever. Elohim. They always translate that as angels. And, of course, it's repeated in the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, so Elohim can be God or God's possessive or his attributes or even judges. Because there's a couple of times where... When it says judge, you're familiar with in the Christian scriptures, it says judge not lest you be judged. Right. Uh huh. Well, what that really means is you are supposed to judge, but you are not supposed to make up your own laws to judge by. Judge not means don't make up your own laws. I because see. Because the next guy will make up his. Um, yeah, that's right. That, and we see that happen in Congress all the time. The, one group makes up their own laws and does something. Let's say uh, Repu- Republicans make their own laws and they pull off some kind of a deal. And they, you know, ha ha, we got you. And it turns around. Next time the Republicans are control, they'll do the same thing. They'll make up their own laws. You'll say, oh, you did it. Now we. So it's kind of that kind of thing. If you judge others uh, using your own standard, well, they're going to later on they'll judge you using their own standard and uh, oh, the no. point is is that we are to judge not that we are not to make judgment but we are to make judgments and and be uh, make decisions based on god's laws and god's perspective well, I, exactly I like that a lot said when jesus it's important that quote about judge not let you be judged uh, by whatever law you judge you shall be judged in other words if you change the law then the next guy will change his but he's actually saying use god's laws because all the god's standard yeah uh, it's so important because I, I, that is a very important understanding, folks, because that verse is taken out of context so many times, even by even by people who don't really that much care about God or the Bible. They'll take that verse and use it against. Oh, you're not supposed to judge. Judge not. You know, and and they're they're really taking it out of context. You know, I've heard that. And people sure. want to attack Christians. Will always hit them with that verse. Oh, you're judging me, and I'm supposed to judge. And whenever I hear that, I always say, Well, what are you talking about? I didn't make up my own laws. And they are, and whoever says it stops and just gets a puzzled look. And they on go, "What?" They have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, uh, so so you got them there. You, you you paid them back with a little confusion. No, but that is, I, I think, it's a very valid and important point for us to make. Now, then, not all of the final chapters of Deuteronomy are uh, about the Song of Moses. I think the last what what chapter is it? The uh, Chapter 34, I guess the last chapter is uh-huh. someone else must write it. I guess maybe Joshua. Well, let's talk about that. That's an interesting point. Uh, we can talk about that. And because it's also, after Moses' death. So did he? Uh, you well, know. now, is it? A, yes, it's after Moses' death. But you remember that he goes up on the mountain, remember? Right. And he sees 
Now, in the Hebrew, that's what we call future tense. Okay. So he's seeing all of Israel. Now, if he sees, oh, I'm just suggesting uh-huh. this, if he sees of all of Israel, he knows when and where he's dying. Uh-huh. So he can write. Now, some other scholars will go around and say, oh, no, it was Joshua. He wrote it yeah. up and he buried him and all that kind of stuff. Well, that would be our most normal sort of a human perspective, I guess. But what you're supposing, and, and it's not... It's not out of the uh, possibility because we are we do see Moses sees not only the land of Israel physically as it is, but he sees Israel through the centuries growing, changing. He sees the Messiah. He see that's your idea you're presenting, Mm -hmm. and so he would of course if if he saw all of that in his heart and mind is. Because God's revealed that to him, he has that expectation. Uh, then that you're right; he could very definitely have written that uh, about himself, knowing his his uh, his uh, future or his sure. his demise or yeah, his final days. Speaking, yeah, practically speaking, we could say. I mean, logically, we'd say, well, you know, Joshua must have wrote it. Uh, there's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions. Uh, uh-huh. The one I'm comfortable with that I choose to take is that if it's future tense and he's saying I'm seeing all of the uh-huh. future, let's call it the future history of Israel, then he also knows what happens to him. So he would be able to sit down mm-hmm. and write mm-hmm. what's happening to him. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. we've noted before, uh, we do see him appear later on. He does actually go into the promised land, but after Messiah has uh, kept his promise. And what what is it, the idea of calling the ten tribes? What was it that uh, now how Moses could go in later is because the Messiah was there to complete his work, which is. Uh, it, yeah, you, you, am I on the I right think track? You're putting the story together well. Because uh, there's a question. Moses' job was to get the ten tribes into the land given by God. There you go. And did he do that? The answer sadly seems to be no, because two and a half stayed on the wrong side. All right. Well, we can talk about it a little further. If you'd like to visit with us and uh, give a thought or ask a question, we'd love to hear from you. 340-9585. The Bible Live. We'll be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. If you lease office, retail, or warehouse space for your business, the last thing you want to do is overpay the landlord. But it happens every day. Hi, I'm Scott McMurray and president of Bottom Line Realty Advisors. We work with business people who want an effective strategy for their next real estate decision. Whether leasing or buying, it affects your bottom line. Your landlord has representation and you should too. Even if you're a good tenant with no plans to move at all, you're the most vulnerable to getting a really bad deal. We only represent our clients, never landlords, so we have no conflict of interest. We stay on your side. Call me, Scott McMurrian, at 210-535-7800, and we'll negotiate from a position of strength. BottomlineRealtyAdvisors.com Bottom Line Realty Advisors We get the landlord off your bottom line 
Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. The soundtrack for the inspiring movie musical The Greatest Showman has been so popular with fans that 20th Century Fox started scheduling special sing-along screenings not long after the movie's initial release. That cultural phenomenon has helped propel the soundtrack to the pinnacle of Billboard's album charts. We're treated here to songs that repeatedly emphasize the positive, redemptive themes of perseverance and determination, courage, and ultimately, humility. The only drawbacks in this lyrical collection are three uses of a light, foul word and references to drinking. So I'll give the Greatest Showman soundtrack a four and a half out of five for family friendliness. For the full review, visit us at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families, Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. There is hope. And we are back. Thank you for joining us tonight for the Bible Live. We were uh, just looking for some. Maybe one of our listeners could help us out with that. I remember I, I was mentioning I, I, when I was younger, I heard a a an album. This is way back in the world of of uh, records, you know, vinyl, plastic disc, and uh, and I remember. Um, there was a, a a mock football game that was being announced, and the announcer was talking. It was between God's people and and against uh, wickedness and evil, and and uh, you know the uh, it was just really well done. It was kind of imaginative. I haven't heard it in many 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 decades, and I, and I was just kind of trying to find it. But I don't know if any of you might have ever heard that or remember it or not. But if you uh, remember that, it's kind of interesting. That uh, be an interesting thing to play here on uh, uh, the. Time, you know, everybody's thinking football here with the, with the um, uh, Super Bowl and all. So, um, just kind of popped in my mind uh, tonight as we we were doing the program. Well, we're talking about the Book of Deuteronomy, and there's one other verse before we jump off and in, in, over and can start considering the Gospel of Mark. Um, there is something, uh, maybe even a couple of things, that. Um, there was something that was brought up. Let me see. Uh, what was it, Jacob? It was, uh, oh, during the year of release. Is that yeah. Is that called Jubilee or is it? No, no. That's, it's a different year. It's the seventh. This is the seventh year. Okay. And actually, uh, I believe that using this, we can actually determine when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. During the year of the release, what book did Moses say should be read or taught to all the people when they gathered for the Festival of Shelters? And, uh, of course, the answer to that is Deuteronomy, this very book that that, that uh, Moses is delivering, this uh, these 
this actually you told me this is actually a very thorough covering of the Torah. The, the yeah, the song. If you're patient with the words, uh-huh. you can actually cover the entire Torah in this song. That's why it's a song. So uh, you can actually, when you sing it, you'll conjure up in your mind the entire history of the Torah. All right. Well, then that's the idea. During the year of release, every seventh year, I guess, this book was to be uh, taught or read to the people by the leader, right? By the king? By the king. Okay. Now, and uh, so, and uh, so, and um, it certainly says that uh, in... um, in the let's see, yeah, it's uh, verse uh, ten commanded them saying at the end of every seven years uh-huh. at the time of the sabbatical year which is the seventh year uh, in the time of my version says sukos of course that's shelters or uh, tabernacles mm-hmm. if you like when all Israel comes to appear before God your Lord mm-hmm. in the place He will choose you shall read this Torah before Israel in their ears so we know that this must be done every seven years. Now, so when I, in Hebrew, the word is hakel. So, and technically, since there's no king in Israel today, they they still celebrate it, but they do it more as a commemoration and an anticipation, you might say. But uh, it's supposed to be done by the declared king. So, when I read what's called the Sermon on the Mountain, and I've sat down and gone through the, all those verses, and I can, to my own satisfaction anyway, line them up with all the portions in the book of Deuteronomy exactly as the commandment says. And if that's correct, then we know exactly when Jesus was doing it because we're told his ministry was three years. Well, that means that somewhere in those three years would be the seventh year anniversary of this Shelters or tabernacle or Sukkoth. Mm-hmm. Sukkoth. So, and uh, uh, is that right? Sukkoth. Yes. Okay, so um, year of release, it's called that because that's a year that someone, people are released from their debt? The, or, the slavery. Is that the idea? Uh, you can't their... have a slave for debts for a lifetime, uh, only until the debt is paid. The contract is paid up, and so, as you've explained to us about... Uh, you, you just use the word slavery you know, or servant or yeah. contractually obligated to work for you. They what could only call an indentured servant. Okay, through the year of release. All right, and so uh, that's what you see when you read the book of uh, Gospel of Mark or Luke or any of those where it has a Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew, I think, more famously. Uh, you you th- you recognize? Oh, wow! I see what he's doing here. He's uh, and that was, of course, satisfaction. I do. Okay. And I would suggest, as uh, the quote Mark Twain, I find the smartest people always agree with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, then finally, let's let's talk about the last chapter. I was just alluding to it, the fact that uh, it occurs in, in most people state, and I guess I kind of bought the line all uh, all these years. It probably that was written down by uh, Joshua or someone after the death. But you've given us the idea that. That Moses, when he was uh, up on Mount, uh, what is it, Mount Nebo? Nebo, Nebo. And that he sees, looks over the river and sees the land of Israel, what is to become the land of Israel, that he not only sees it as it was that day, but he's, in his idea and his understanding, he, the vision of he has, he understands that uh, this is land promised to God's people. And the idea is that he, he kind of sees and dreams into the future, seeing what God will do in and through and with the, the people of Israel. And, and that in that sense, he um, 
saw, uh, what is it we're saying he saw? <laughs> oh, he saw his own demise. He saw his own place in that uh, extended history of the people and, and that he could well have maybe known uh, the manner of his death and his burial. We don't know where he was buried, right? He. Well, we know on Nebo, but other than that, we do other not than, know. Other than and that. And the understanding is the reason... That, that we understand is uh, because if we knew where Moses was buried, it would turn into a, a very sacred place and people would take journeys there and pilgrimages there, very similar to where they go to where Mohammed is mm-hmm, buried. Mm-hmm. And that would give Moses a status that he really shouldn't have because he's not God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's never been another prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh. And you've explained to that about signs and wonders. Signs are for God's people. Wonders are uh, are, are God's dealing with those uh, who, who aren't believers, who don't follow him. Uh, and all his servants in his entire land with mighty power, Moses performed terrifying, terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. And thus ends this book uh, featuring the messages, the final messages of this great leader of Israel, 120 years old, 40 years in the palaces of Egypt. Uh, he, remember, was uh, taken out of the river by a princess, a daughter of the Pharaoh, uh, very young, and uh, he lives 40 years. He's raised there, educated in the palace uh, like royalty in Egypt, and then he identifies with the people of Israel, his people who are in slavery and bondage there, and he has to flee for his life, and he spends another 40 years out in the wilderness of uh, sin, I guess that's what we would call it, right? Yes. So he's out there raising sheep and having a family and so on uh, with his wife, uh, Zipporah, if I remember correctly. And 40 years, and then he's one day wandering out on Mount Sinai, Sinai, and he sees this vision of a burning bush. And that leads to the next, the final 40-year chapter of his life as he goes and presents himself to Pharaoh to ask you to let my, don't, don't step on my, What's the word? Uh, don't step on no, my... No, no, step on my subdued juice. My subdued juice. <laughs> you know, blue suede. I get it. I get it. <laughs> subdued juice. Well, anyway, he goes, let my people go. And then he uh, is instrumental. God uses him to bring the people out of Egypt to the base of Mount Sinai for about 13 months. And then they move on up, uh, spend the next 40 years in the wilderness, uh, roaming, uh, wandering there, uh, these 20... Three stops? Ah, no, no, 42. 42 stops that are that are uh, listed for us there. And then uh, as they're camped on the east side of Jordan here, he delivers these final messages. And what gets me is that remember when he was first called on to go and lead the people of Israel, what was his excuse? What was his hesitation? Well, he said, uh, you're giving them all the oil and we're to circumcise what? <laughs> now, come on. <laughs> we're to, yeah. No, I'm, what are we to uh, cut off? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh no. Yeah, but uh, I, I can't talk. I'm not. I'm, I, no, it's, some uh, people have said he stammered. Maybe well, he had a yeah, stutter. He I don't stammered. know. There's a great line there. It depends how you read the line. But he says, "Send the one whom you will send." A lot of people say, "Well, that's Aaron," because he was a good speaker, uh-huh. carried a good tune, snappy dresser, the whole uh-huh, thing. Uh-huh. Or some people has, have suggested that that's actually the final Messiah. 
Okay. Oh, I see that the one who send can the one you will send. give a good speech without the teleprompter. And, uh-huh, and yeah. so, yeah, well, that would be Jesus. And, 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 <laughs> I did want to tell you one thing about as far as seeing. I brought a comment in from a famous, a very famous uh, Hebrew scholar mm-hmm. uh, who's uh, he grew up in France, if I remember correctly. His name his name is Rashi. They call him. And I'll just read it. Said uh, uh, he taught, and I'll just that God showed Moses all that would happen in the land of uh, that's Israel or into the land of Israel in the future until the last day when all the dead will live again. And so this this man is reading these things. He's a very old, smart mm-hmm, guy. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he says, look, this is all, these verses are in the future tense. And so he's seeing the land, and when it gives us boundaries and descriptions, according to this scholar, uh, the sage, yeah, you suppose you can't see all those places. But he's suggesting because of the tense of the language, he's showing him that quote I just read you is, is from Rashi. Mm-hmm. And it just seems to me, if we accept the supernatural idea that God speaking and Moses mm-hmm. writing and all that, then there's no reason why Moses wouldn't see what happens to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, and indeed, part of the understanding was, and I think that's how it got in uh, the idea of Jesus the Messiah, collecting the so-called missing or lost ten tribes. So Moses' job was to get the, them in there. And remember, the two and a half tribes uh, did not, they want to stay on the east side of the tribe. Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh yeah. And so he really did not complete his chore. But if the Messiah comes and completes that chore, and there is an understanding that the Messiah will do that, and when he brings them back together, they will then be able, and supposedly Moses will cross. And I think that's the meaning that we're getting in Mark chapter 9, when Jesus goes up on the mountain. The transfiguration, yes. And he sees Moses, and he sees... uh, Elijah. Elijah. So, if that... Now, Elijah never died but was taken up in a chariot of fire um i don't know what might have been the symbolism of elijah but uh anyway well uh you got an equally interesting story (laughs) but but if that if that understanding is correct and we've got what's being told to us Mm -hmm. that the reason moses could and i know it's kind of a a Mm -hmm. happy uh trick question that sometimes christians like to ask did he ever get to go yeah he was in there on the mountain yeah but the point is, if we're being told that that's what happens, then we're being told something about Jesus be, de- being declared the Messiah. Right, right, right. And, and, it, and it does tie together. It's a, a beautiful link. Well, I, uh, I, I guess we can leave uh, Moses and the people of Israel there. Um, uh, you know, one thing that does strike me about that, and it kind of goes along with what you're saying, is I read that chapter 34 uh, of the book of um, Deuteronomy, that last chapter, uh-huh. I find it surprisingly mm, understated. In other words, it, if someone else wrote it about Moses, I would expect it would be much more extravagant in its praise of Moses and what he. You know what I mean? Yeah. But this, if you read that, it's surprisingly uh, matter of fact. Well, and, you know, in the New Testament, there's a book called Jude. Okay, uh huh. You know that? Yes, I do. Hey, Jude. Oh, that one, yes. And that's the book of Jude is actually a portion that's taken out of the book of Enoch. I see. Uh huh, uh huh. That's right. I remember that. The famous verse, I think it's only one chapter, isn't it? Yes. Uh huh. 
So uh, twenty-four verses. Uh-huh. Well, geez, I knew you would know. <laughs> um, so the point is, they have this argument between uh, Michael, an archangel, and Satan, the mm-hmm. mad angel. Yes, and they're arguing over Moses's body. Yes, that's right. And so the point is, why would they argue over Moses's body? Because I guess the idea is supposed to be if Satan knows if he gets implanted there, he becomes very important. Oh, you know, like the idea of Muhammad at Mecca, that kind of thing. It's twenty. It's twenty-five verses. I'm sorry, I knew I was wrong. The moment I got out of my mouth, I I think that still qualifies as an A minus. Okay. Well, the reason I knew it is because we often memorize uh, Jude twenty-four and twenty-five, and I remember Uh memorizing those verses. You're right; they go together. I, I love it. It's it's interesting. I'm going to read it. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. And some say that that might be where they got the what ending. What does amen mean? Uh, so be it means so be it because it's an acronym. For? Uh, In Hebrew acronym? Yeah. I mean? Uh, it does mean the word because you put together as an acronym and it does have a meaning. Uh, like so be it. Mm-hmm. But it comes from, oh man, it's like God is a faithful king. Huh. And so God is a faithful king. If you take the first letter I of the phrase, you put it together as an acronym, it means so be it. Let it be written, let it be done. <laughs> that sort of idea, right? Exactly. From, from uh, what I forgot to play that So they're arguing about Moses' body, yeah. and the logic is is that Satan knows Moses becomes important. Very interesting. Uh, it's, it goes back to the yeah. story of Mount Sinai when they made the... Uh, Some think that this is where they got the, 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 the final words of Jesus, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on. It comes down, for thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever. The, the, they think that the, that all glory, majesty, power, and authority are his, that that may have been taken from this uh, passage in Jude. I've heard that it wasn't in the original, the actual prayer. That, it's just what, kind of what I've, I've heard. Well, I don't it works know. for you, it works for me. <laughs> well, it's just what I've heard. So uh, anyway, there we are, the book of Deuteronomy. Let's jump over. Let's jump ahead now. 1,450 years from the time uh, Moses there and the people of Israel on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, we jump past now the time of Joshua, the time of war. They spent about 25 years uh, in battle, uh, about seven or eight years in full battle to to take the land. And then they uh, have to, each of the tribes are left to kind of clean up their own allotment of land to go in and drive out the enemy forces there. And, and they don't do that adequately, which actually proves to be a great problem for them in the future but then then we start the uh about if i remember correctly about 300 years a little over 300 years perhaps at the time of the judges uh and uh, starting with this uh, uh, this nephew of joshua i've forgotten his ahud was that the first one yeah ahud i believe you're probably right it was a nephew of joshua uh and uh by marriage i believe and then it goes on um through the the, the uh, judges of Israel, in, uh, ending up with uh, Samson, the twelfth, and then we have this 
this transitioned individual, Samuel, from the time of the kings and the time of the judges, he leads us to the time of the prophets. Uh, And so Samuel transitions us uh, into the time of the kings and the prophets. And so he introduces Samuel, uh, uh, anoints the first king of Israel, uh, Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin. And then Saul uh, gives way to David uh, from the tribe of Judah, his son Solomon. And then Solomon's son uh, Rehoboam is the one that leads to the division of the land and become. Why, why does Rehoboam cause the final act? Because he wouldn't pass that tax cut that Trump was asking you for. Got it. Something like that. So what's interesting is the very last act was oppressive and high taxes. And when you stop and thinking about that, almost every rebellion of a revolution in the history of the world has generally become because of oppressive and high taxes. <laughs> Isn't that remarkable? It is actually remarkable, especially in light of the admonitions from both Moses and Samuel wow. about what a king, what a central government will do. They will take your men and women and put them in uniform and do war. They'll take your taxes and you know, all that sort of thing. They warn us about it, so we can't say we're not warned. But anyway, the, uh, the, the country splits, the ten tribes of the north, uh, Judah and Benjamin and I tell you, now, some people may disagree with the selection, but I think some of the sages that I like to read uh, actually say that the, re- that the fir- first of the ten tribes that were taken into captivity among the first tribes was the two and a half tribes. Isn't that interesting? Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, yeah. for sure. All right, well, then we're going to jump over to the Gospel of Mark and start considering that now. When uh, These many, many centuries later, after the time of the judges, after the time of the kings and the division of the land, and, and we go through the... Remember, ultimately, the ten tribes of Israel were taken into bondage by Assyria in the north out of Nineveh, yeah. and they're never restored to the land. Uh-huh. And then later on in 586 B.C., uh, we see Nebuchadnezzar comes over and takes Israel and the, the people of Judah, Daniel, uh, and the, the three men. Uh, I don't want to like to give their uh, Babylonian names, but they're, they're, they're Misael. Uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. But I, I, That's all right. It's, I uh, the cute thing is... Uh, uh, see, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, off, Shack. off the bed we go. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, Meshach, Meshach. Yeah, but, uh, but, uh, okay, so we go forward, and so then the, the time of the bondage. Then we have those prophets all during the warning them and all, and we come to the three post-exilic prophets, uh, ending up the Old Testament: Zachari- Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then we go four hundred years of silence. They're called. We call them 400 years of silence, but it's actually there's... Uh, I hear that all the time. Yeah, well, I know. It's, and I always say, well, maybe it was silent to you. I don't know. <laughs> well, then uh, then we come back to John the Baptist. Uh, and John the Baptist begins to prepare the way for uh, the Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And so we pick up there with the New Testament. So let's let's jump now over to the Gospel of Mark. I know that someone's well, on the you, line. Uh, your friend Rich is wanting to talk. If I waited to long for Rich? Uh, Rich, give me a call back. I was wanting to give a little bit of a background as we Don't jump over to the Gospel of Mark. so much, Rich, that he lost you. I did. I lost the chance to visit with, but maybe he'll call us back. I'm going to I'm gonna trust that well, he'll be kind enough to call. Let's look at Mark. Then, okay? okay, let's do that. Um, John Mark is uh, his Roman name, I assume. Uh, his, Hebrew, his Hebrew name is John, and uh, he's, he's uh, John Mark. He's, he's a young man, quite young. 
I, I, my understanding is that at the time of Jesus' arrest, John Mark was the one. Uh, if you look in the in the Gospel of Mark at the end, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, the the his followers all scatter and they run for their lives. Uh, and uh, as was predicted, that his followers would abandon him and scatter. There's one young man that is spoken of as b- being stripped of his clothes. What happened? It looks like someone grabbed him and grabbed his cloak, and so he just took his cloak, his coat off, and fled into the darkness naked. And it is thought that that indeed is John Mark, this young man uh, that is the author. He supposedly wrote down from the memories and the dictation of Peter, is my understanding. I don't know, uh, Jacob, if you have some background on these or not, uh, that this gospel, it it is the first, they believe, the first that was penned and and began to circulate, um, and that he wrote from the memoirs of uh, Peter. Let me see. What else do I know about him? Remember when they went to, remember when Paul was in, was it Peter? Peter, who was it? Peter was in prison and they had a prayer meeting for him to get delivered. And an angel went and delivered Peter from prison. So he went to the house of John Mark, this guy, and he knocked on the door. And remember the little servant girl went to the door and answered and it was Peter. And and she got so panicked that she went back and told the people, but she didn't let him in the house. <laughs> she kept the door closed. Uh, anyway, that was John angel, Mark's house. There's angels out there. Yeah, yeah, she, that's what she said. There's an angel. It looks just like Peter. but it's, And uh, it turns out that God did answer their prayer, but uh, they just weren't. They didn't know that. Evidently, it surprised them that God answered their prayer. But uh, that was John Mark's home uh, that we're told about. Uh, so uh, anyway, there's some interesting things surrounding this individual. Later on, he goes on the first uh, missionary journey with Paul, and he abandons Paul. He kind of wimps out on the journey, and Paul gets upset at him, and he won't let him go on the next journey. Paul gets upset at John Mark, and he and he has a real uh, he has an argument with Barnabas about whether John Mark should go with them on the second journey, and Paul won't allow it. So Barnabas takes John Mark under his wing. Like Barnabas is this wonderful discipler. Remember, Barnabas was one that helped take Paul under his wing when Paul was on the outs. Remember when he was first coming into the body of Christ, the church. Uh, it was Barnabas who saw him and took him in and taught him and 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 urged the brethren to to receive him. Well, Barnabas takes John Mark under his wing and uh, kind of disciples him and mentors him. And then, um, like Jacob is mentoring me, according to Renee. And then then later on, we see Paul from prison said, send John Mark to me because he, he is valuable to me. So you see a whole series of development and growth in this young man named John Mark. Uh, to later in his life, Paul himself, who once uh, rejected him for being yeah, a little nervous, Nelly, perhaps on the mission trip and all, he says, send him to me because he's valuable. He's, in, he's valuable to my life and to my ministry. Oh. So there's a full circle made uh, around this individual, John Mark. And uh, we can start. We read, through the, we read through the first eight chapters in our reading schedule tonight. So uh, we'll, we can comment on those. Is, is there anything in particular? Now, let me tell you, folks, why Jacob, why I pay him the big bucks. I mean, oh. we, we, uh, <laughs> honestly, Jacob, it is so fascinating to hear your take 
uh, obviously, clearly on the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, it's it's always uh, instructive, edifying to hear that background and so on. But when you read the New Testament with that perspective, that Hebrew perspective, it, thought, it really brings a, pers- a, a view that is very unusual and really helpful to us uh, as uh, believers, whether we're Jewish or Gentile. Uh, it really helps us to get that background because Jesus, in fact, was a Jew. The early believers, the early apostles were Jews. They spoke, they wrote, they uh, out of their culture, out of their language, out of their traditions, out of their understanding of history. Uh, and so it is very helpful to us. You you add greatly to our understanding of these scriptures. Is there anything that caught your attention? Oh, yeah. Well, there's always a Oh, I didn't get that? to you in time, did I? We're down to our last segment that was already. brilliant how you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd think I did that on purpose. But uh, it is just a little bit of a tease then I'm giving you. And We're going to come back and, and, and take these. Rich is welcome to call back. <laughs> yes, please do give us a call. We're going to let uh, our Hebrew, our Jewish perspective, look at the opening eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark, viewed from the perspective of, of, of a Jewish. A Jew looks at the life of Jesus and these opening chapters and uh, some surprising and I think very helpful observations he'll make. You can give us a call and be a part of the program, 210-340-9585. We'll see you right behind these messages. to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. that many of you have ever heard Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys singing the Lord's Prayer. I think uh, we have to give John credit for coming up with that. Very interesting. I don't think I'd ever heard that, John. All right. Interesting. I, I, I've never heard that, and uh, it makes me think. It makes me wonder about their hearts and their lives. What I mean, they are human beings, and you kind of wonder what might have uh, been at work in their lives. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, we, I just, I'm just that way. I think about things and people in that way. Well, we are back. This is the final segment of the Bible Live broadcast for this evening. We have been looking at the book of Deuteronomy. We just finished up our considerations there and thoughts. Now we're moving over, jumping forward 1,500 years after the, or 1,900 years, I guess, really, if you count. No, no, no. Uh, 1,500 years we're jumping forward, including those what we call 400 years of silence after Malachi, uh, between Malachi and uh, the Gospel of Mark and the New Testament, the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And then we start out with, and this book opens up with, uh, not with the uh, birth of Messiah and not with the, uh, the, the 
ancestry, the, you know, the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, and so on, like uh, Luke does and others. But it just starts off with, with John the Baptist, which is, we were just thinking, is a good transition from the Hebrew Scriptures because uh, we look at Isaiah chapter 40, and it talks about this voice crying out in the wilderness and so on. And that's the way Mark opens up, or Peter here opens up the Gospel of Mark, as he talks about crying in the wilderness, make way in the wilderness, you know, uh, and preparing the way for the Messiah, this John the Baptist coming in that, in that way, the herald of the forerunner of the Messiah. And I've asked Jacob if there's anything as he read those opening chapters, is there anything in, from his kind of Jewish perspective, Hebrew perspective, reading those books, is there anything that jumps out and kind of catches your attention uh, from that perspective? So have at it, Jacob. I'm, I mean, well, I'm eager to hear what. Yeah, well, well uh, of course, in the first verse, it's voice crying in the wilderness. Um, and it, there's Isaiah, and, it all, and there's also something in. Uh, Jeremiah, but it's talking about. Remember, uh, they buried Rachel on the road. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, even Jeremiah makes it even more explicit that uh, she and Jeremiah says she's crying, uh, and she's in the wilderness. And today, her tomb is still there, but the city's grown up around her, of course. But the history is that it's so interesting because she was buried and. She's right by the road, the, the road that the tribes were led away in when they were led away in captivity. Well, as you go on through those verses, and Isaiah's making reference to it, but Jeremiah is... Are you talking about the ten northern tribes or the uh, yes. tribes of Judah and Benjamin by well, the Babylonians? Uh, the Babylonians. Okay. Huh? And so what would happen is, and it actually goes on to say that she, her crying her is quenched or she stops crying when they return. Now, may I ask you this? We're talking about the Babylonians. So I guess what you're telling us is that the when they took many of the people uh, into exile from uh, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin right, there in Jerusalem, right, right, right. they took them down below under the, uh-huh. uh, under the, the, yes. the Dead Sea and around. Uh-huh. And up, I say, okay. There's a road there. So there's a road, and that was that was That's the road where that, uh, mm-hmm. her husband buried her. And likely was the road that Jesus came back when he was taken as a two-year-old child, fleeing from the he persecution would have of had Herod. To, to make the story coherent, he, evidently that's the the road he came up. He would have to because the story there's an understanding that the Messiah will be the one to lead them back. In fact, there is a small group of Jews that today that still think that, uh, well, no, Israel's not official because the Messiah hasn't led everybody back. But that uh, depends on how you want to interpret that, but they're a very small group. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, but actually, so they're taken away and they're led back on that road. But what to me is even, to me, uh, it's just in the interest of time, over in, uh, in your questions... Um, uh, 14 and 15. Mm-hmm. It says, uh, your question was, Jesus slept in a boat oh, yeah. across the Sea of the Galilee. When a storm hit and frightened his disciples, it awakened him. What did Jesus do? And just in his time, he calmed the storm. Now, this seems like a, a miracle, correct? Yes, yes, uh, of course. So let's say this is a miracle. Uh, that's what Peter, uh, was it Peter said, what manner of the man is this, right. that even the sure. wind and the waves obey right. him? Yeah. But there's something else going on here, if I might suggest. It's because one of the foreign gods that was being brought in and imported into Israel was the storm god. 
So he's he's actually kind of doing what happened back with the plagues in Egypt. Now that each plague represented some god. So he's actually calming the storm god. Now why would that story be right before him visiting the place where the, he takes the demons out of the pigs? He's going to the east side over to the uh, the land of the Decapolis, it's called in, in, in Latin or in Rome, uh, the region of the Ten Cities, Ten cities to the, the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he meets the Gadarean uh, demoniac, they call him, although he was running naked in the tombs and he was out of his mind, evidently. Right. And so why would they call so let's it? Let's take a look at this entire picture. Okay. He calms a storm, but let's say that it's something suggestive of the plagues. And it's, a, it's not just a storm, it's a storm god. It's a, supposedly another god like okay. in Egypt. And then so he, he takes care of that god, you might say, but he calms the storm. Then they land, and beginning in chapter 5 is where it comes up. And he goes and he finds this man, as you said, uh, uh, when he got out of the boat, it's chapter 5, verse 2, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with unclean spirit met, met him. Uh-huh. Okay? Uh-huh. Now, uh, just in the interest of time, I will tell you that there's something very unusual going on here. And it says, uh, and it says in verse 5, 5, five Constantly, day and night, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gnashing, him, gnashing himself with stones. And he saw Jesus coming, and he shouted with a loud voice, and he said, What business do we have with, uh, with each other? And Jesus, Son of the Most High, I implore you by God, do not torment me. So that's the unclean spirit. Uh-huh. Now there's a word in Hebrew, don't worry about it, it's called Shadim. But there is some ex- explanations that it has something to do with, uh, shall we say, eating pork. Ah, mm-hmm. so let's say that this storm god was putting up a storm to keep Jesus from getting to these tombs. First thing Jesus would have to do is take care of that storm god. Okay? Uh-huh. Now he gets to the tombs. And it says in chapter 5, it says... Uh, uh, verse 9, and he was asking him, what is, what your, is name? your name, right? Yeah. And see what it says? Legion. Uh, says because that. there are many of us inside yeah. this man, it says here. Uh, and what does and uh, what does Jesus do with this legion? He does what they ask him to do, I suppose. He casts them, send us into those pigs. Uh-huh. Let us enter them. Right. Yeah, send us into the swine. So that we they begged him not to send them to some distant right. place. I, I, now, why? Now, listen. Jesus was not supposed to commit sins. Okay. So if he destroyed some farmer's pigs, this is in a Gentile region, we'll yes, say, uh-huh. and they had pigs. If Jesus killed their pigs by whatever manner he did it, wouldn't that be taking or destroying somebody else's property? Mm-hmm. It I would. Unless... Unless this active idea of eating pork or shadim is out there. And they said, put us into the pigs. Well, let's carry this out just in the interest of time, as I say. So let's say what's been driving this man mad and eating this unclean, let's say, unkosher spirit was he was eating pork. 
And we're not talking about a little bitty group of hogs here, you know, five or six uh, feral hogs or anything. This is a large uh, herd, up to 2,000, I think uh, the understanding is, a large herd of of, uh, pigs, hogs. And they plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in well, the read, water. Read 13. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Are we talking about the Sea of Galilee there or another lake, I guess? Well, the lake where the storm got Yeah, was. okay. All right. And it said they were drowned, right? Mm-hmm. No. If he took somebody else's property and destroyed them, that would be a sin. Unless that's where they came from. Unclean, another word, unkosher. Mm-hmm. So this guy appears to be a Jew that's living in the tombs, but in a Gentile land. And he's eating this unclean pork. And there is some uh, literature about this shadim or this, this demon uh, could come from pork. So, if Jesus put it in there and destroyed somebody else's property, that would be a destruction. That could be a sin, obviously. But not if. Not if. Mm-hmm. They're doing, he's giving, putting them back where they want to go because that's where they came from. Mm-hmm. Back to the pigs, to the mm-hmm. pork. Mm-hmm. You see? Mm-hmm. I do. And so now it starts making a little more sense. Sure. And then when you go back and say, oh, so the storm came up, was trying to prevent Jesus from getting to here where this, this man was living in the tombs. And God, Jesus, I mean, calmed the storm. And, uh, and if it's the idea of the storm God, then that's it. And I'm sorry, I forgot the name. I'll tell you what the name of the storm God was. But, the, but so what's going on is he's calmed it. Now he can get to this man that's living in the tombs. Now, he's li- who usually stays in the graveyards? <laughs> Dead people. Dead people. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. Shot in the dark. Well, yeah, dead people. Mm-hmm. But he's alive. Ah. Now, we don't know the rest of the story till we flesh it in, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. with uh, some of the same stories told again in the other Gospels. Right. Synoptic Gospels. Yes. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, here's a man who's alive, but he's living with the dead. And he says, so the dead is the spirit that goes back into the pigs, and they drowned because they're dead. Mm-hmm. So the dead buried the dead. Mm-hmm. So isn't that interesting? It is. It's all a fascinating view of, of this. Uh, it, it's touching, even on, on a surface reading as we do, this, this man in such a sad situation, so out of his mind and, uh, and so on. And then it, it says that this happens to him. And and these people are, are, uh, the herdsmen run away, they're angry, they begin to tell the story all around the region, what Jesus did, and a huge crowd begins to gather uh, to see him, to see what had happened, and this man appears, but now he's not possessed by a legion of demons, he's sitting there, uh, (laughs) I always joke about that expression, fully clothed and in his right mind, Sometimes I use that expression 
kind of, ah, yeah, here I am. I see all of you here this morning, fully clothed and in your right minds. And, and nobody ever gets my joke because I, I just like that line. It comes from the Gospel of Mark here. But they see this man who was possessed by demons, living, uh, living in rags and, and filthy and so on. And they see him now, not mad, not uh, crazy, not like a lunatic, but fully clothed and sitting there in his right mind, in his right... Uh, I, I, it had to have been a, a, a striking vision because uh, evidently they knew of this man. They knew about him. Uh, he was in all the newspapers, I assume, and uh, the news reports. And so they saw that and they began. Interesting, their response, Jacob, instead of saying, wow, boy, this Jesus guy is great. Their response was to ask him to leave. Right. The, yeah, people, the people, the crowd came. began yeah. pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. <laughs> I don't know how you that that seems like an unusual response, but I'm not sure what to make of it. Uh, oh, I want to tell you one other thing. When I read that, I had just finished reading. You know, we read through the Psalms and the Proverbs every year as well. And I had just read a Psalm and I was thinking when I read about Jesus calming the wind and the waves, I thought, wow, that sounds familiar to me all of a sudden out of the and I and I finally found it back in Psalm 107. It's a beautiful psalm. It talks about God, our Savior, how he finds people uh, give thanks to the Lord. And and it breaks. He says, some some people that God saved sat in darkness and in dupes. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help us. And he rescued from the distress. And then verse 10, some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. That's how I see this Gadarean demoniac. Uh, sat in darkness and he breaks their chains and he frees them and liberates them. And then it says some were fools and uh, they rebelled and suffered for the sins and uh, uh, they, they God heard them and helped them in their trouble. And then it says finally in verse 23, Psalm 107, some went off to sea in ships plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas because he spoke and the winds rose, stirring the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed and they said, help. And then he, they cried out to the Lord, help. And he saved them. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. And that came to my mind as I read about now these disciples with Jesus out in the Sea of Galilee. They're caught in this sudden storm, and they cry out, help. And he speaks and calms the storm and stills the waves. I, 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 am I getting to be a little bit, a little oh, bit Hebrew? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 for, I'm going to have this laminated for my wallet. <laughs> am I beginning to think like a Jewish person should, relating scripture to scripture? Anyway, that's that. What came to my mind, but uh, this is fascinating. This this uh, man, he goes over now and he, as uh, he preaches. Let me see. Let me see. He uh, he goes over and heals this man, and just a few chapters later, he goes back, and he goes back to that region, and this time, he left that part of the country, returned with his disciples to Nazareth, and so on. After he heals this little girl, he raised her from the dead. Actually, we were talking about raising from the dead right, last yes. week, uh-huh. but the, he raised, and then he goes back to Nazareth, to, back, and he's rejected at Nazareth, and so on. He sends out his twelve disciples, and then he goes back on a preaching tour back to the Decapolis, back to the east side of the Jordan, 
And that same man, a crowd of 5,000 comes to hear him. And it is thought that probably that, remember that when he left this guy, I think he asked, take me with you. I want yeah. to go with you. That's right. And he said, stay here and tell the great things That's God verse, has done for verse you. Verse 19, and Jesus yeah. said to him, uh, no, uh, go home to your people and report uh, to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy. On okay, you. and now later on, after this guy has had time to do that, evidently, and, and so, in a way, it looks like Jesus kind of hired him, took him on as his front man for the, the coming evangelistic crusade in, in uh, the, those western towns, uh, those eastern towns, I'm sorry, and that this guy did do that, and this time, 5,000 come to hear him, and they have this great response, people respond to the message of Jesus, and so on. It's, it's all interesting. that comes. Yes, yes, exactly. The, the faith of the Gentile woman who comes well, to him. Is yeah. she a Gentile? Um, let's, let, let's oh, see. no, that's that's talking about the woman up in Tyre, right? Uh, the Phoenician let's, let's woman. Look at the, what are you looking at? Well, I'm looking in chapter 5, as you said, they return. Uh-huh. And a large crowd gathered, chapter 5. Yes. And uh, then he says in verse 25, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Yes. And had endured much at the hands of many doctors, and had, she didn't have Obamacare. Uh-huh. That's and, her problem. And she, um, uh, and she had all she could, and she was not helped at all. She had spent everything she had to pay for them, but she had gotten no better. Yeah. After hearing G- uh, the, about Jesus, she came up to the crowd and touched his cloak. Actually, she grabbed the hem of his cloak. The uh, his no. prayer, the, the the what do they call it? The tassels, maybe. The the tassels, huh? The prayer shawl. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The tallit. Uh huh. Now, why would she grab the hem? Why is that important? She says, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. I'm not sure. Well. Uh, is there some, I, I, I don't see anything obvious there, but you. Uh, well, because the prayer shawl is the commandments. Because, the okay, the word for prayer shawl itself is like 600. The tassels, as we call them, is a 13. So it's 613. 6 plus 1 is 7 plus 3 is 10, 10 commandments. So the prayer shawl itself is the 10 commandments. And that's a fashion designed by God himself. He, yes, it uh, was chapter put... 15 of Numbers, if okay. I recall. Uh-huh. And so what she's doing is, and Jesus says, uh, he says, he calls her daughter. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It tends to make me think she's Jewish, but mm-hmm. maybe not. Uh-huh, but what uh-huh. she's done is, let's take a slow, long, hard look. What she's done is she has grabbed the commandments of God. And uh, and she said, if I can touch the hem of his garment. And when she did, immediately the flow of the blood uh, dried up, and she felt that the affliction was gone away. In verse 30, immediately mm-hmm. Jesus perceiving himself that the power proceeding from from him had gone forth he turned around in the crowd and said who touched my garments or his prayer shawl his tallit now the one question is why would he not know yeah but he i think he did know and of course his disciples how we how can you ask us that <laughs> we got that you're surrounded by the huge, this huge crowd how could you ask us who touched you you know uh because one of the things is one of the uh, six thirteen uh-huh. make up the ten um, is that you should not embarrass somebody. So he turned around and said, "You grab me. You you must have been healed. What did you have? And this your blood for twelve years? Uh-huh. Well, he would have humiliated her. 
she didn't tell everybody. She just went up there and grabbed it. So she's grabbing the commandments, let's say, and Jesus does the law that he doesn't embarrass her. It's sort of like charity should be gonna be done anonymously so uh-huh. that somebody doesn't always feel when they pass you that you're the benefactor. They have a right to keep their head up and have some pride. So he doesn't embarrass her, doesn't humiliate her, but she grabs the commandments. And look down at verse 34. How does your 34 read? Um, let me find it. And he, uh, well, finally, the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Oh, that just makes me cry. Well, I'm, thought, I'm, I'm so touched. He, he says her faith, uh, and she's grabbed the commandments, the hymn of his garment, his prayer shawl. Yeah. Because I understand he wore one every day of his life. And so he calls her daughter, which tends to make me think that this is a Jewish woman. She's grabbing the commandments, but maybe not. But anyway, he says, go in peace. Uh, you've been healed of your affliction. Now, wow. so what's happening is, she actually grabs the, you might say, the commandments. In fact, you know, uh, the, at the end of uh, some of the Gospels, when they come back and there's a, a garment folded on the slab after Jesus resurrected in the stories, in the uh-huh. Gospels, well, what's folded there is his prayer shawl. So, I see, uh-huh. So that's the commandments. So this is because the commandments actually are, because numerically the main garment is 600, the tassels are 13, 613, unless I say that equals 10, 10 commandments. So she is coming up and grabbing the commandments, and she's healed. And Jesus is wearing the commandments. Uh-huh. Now, I'm curious about this. You mentioned the prayer shawl being the the... the, the uh garment that was left in the empty tomb when uh, Jesus resurrected. Uh, yeah. Now, some people have thought of that might be the what is that called the uh, the, uh, um, the shroud the shroud of uh, Turin. Uh, I, I'm just curious. That shroud does it have tassels? I'm just curious. Uh, not that I know of. Okay, I was wondering if that might be a but, detail. But I, I, you know, I'm, I actually was on an airplane. I was flying to Europe one time with a guy that worked on the committee, and he worked for the Vatican. And I got to talk to him for a few minutes, and he told me what he was flying back to the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And we are flying over and touching down in Europe. And uh, he was telling me about the shroud, and he was working on it. And, and they were investigating. But, um, I, I, you know, I never thought about asking if it had tassels hmm. or not. So. Yeah, it would be an interesting. I, I've never heard tassels mentioned or anything, but, so I'm guessing it probably well, doesn't. Well, when because it says the hem of the garment, yeah. that's really telling you what's at the hem is the tassels. Right. And you'll see some very orthodox Jews even today. You'll see some strings hanging down. Those are Right. I see tassels, those. Yeah. Well, then he, after this touching, touching scene with this woman, he's on his way. Uh, what happens? He's on his way to a local synagogue. There's a man named Jairus, and he said, my little daughter is dying. She's sick. Would you come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live? And so he's going with uh, 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 Jairus, going back to their home and to, to uh, lay hands on his daughter, 
Uh, I believe that her name is Tabitha. Is that right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. Talitha. Little girl. Talitha. It's not Tabitha. But anyway, uh, he's on his way. And this is when the woman reaches out and touches his robe. That's Bible. All right. We're already a past time, aren't we? Oh. And in, in that moment. Uh, this, but he goes on and heals the daughter of this leader of synagogue. He says, don't come. She's already dead. And he, he says, don't worry. I'll go on. And he raises her from the dead, which uh, amazing thing. I didn't realize our music had already started, Jacob. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we are. Time, it's time for us to go already. Well, uh, and remember, you should always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. That's right. We'll see you next week here on The Bible Live. is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.